is going to talk with you in just a minute, but I am excited to come and be down here with you. And this is for everybody. I'm about to read scripture, but I wanted to spend a moment here with the kids. And I'm glad to see all your shiny faces. It is a special thing to have all of you here. This morning, I'm going to read you a story about a man named Moses. And so I want you to listen Sometimes what I like to do to remind myself to listen is kind of turn my ear. You want to maybe do that and remind us to open our ears. And can you tap on your heart right here? And remind us to open our hearts so that we can listen for a word from God. So now all of us, let us hear this word of God this morning. It's coming to us from Exodus chapter 34 verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down the mountain carrying the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face glowed because he had spoken to the Lord face to face. And when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and asked Aaron and the community leaders to come over and talk with him. Then all the people came, and Moses gave them instructions the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he went into the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord, he removed the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people would see his face aglow. Afterward, he would put the veil on again until he returned to speak to the Lord. This is a reading for Holy Scripture for all the people of God. Our thanks be to God. Somebody like the Israelites had with Moses when he came down off of the mountain. Somebody who's had a revelation or an epiphany or a moment of clarity That has affected them so much, so deeply that you could see it on their faces. Have you ever had an experience like that with someone? Who's had that holy moment. That has changed them. Where they've learned something about themselves or about life. And they will never be the same. Or maybe you've had that kind of experience yourself and people have seen it on your faces. So much so that you you couldn't hide it. I remember distinctly a few years ago having the honor to baptize a man who I'd had conversation with for the better part of a year about God and about Christ and the church and himself. And he came to a place where he put his faith in Jesus. And so we had a Sunday morning where I had the opportunity to baptize him. And and having done that, and as the water poured down over him and off of his face, I mean, he was glowing, (laughs) beaming, truly would never be the same. He was shining, and that's what the people saw in Moses after he came off the mountain is, Moses' shiny face. And of course, the reason for his shining face was because he had been in the presence of God. It was the glow of the glory of God reflecting off of him. 
We know when he came down off the mountain, having been with God, God had given him the commandments, the, the foundation for the law that he brought back to the people, to Israel, to God's people. But having been in the presence of God, Moses was so deeply affected, changed, that he was shining. You know, that's actually something that's deeply rooted in our identity as Methodists, is, is that idea of staying, remaining close in the presence of God. That we give ourselves our lives, that's where the name Methodist came from. It was, it was sort of a nickname given to the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield that they were so methodical about the practice of their faith, the practice of the spiritual disciplines that they called them Methodists. Things like prayer and the study of the scriptures and worship and serving those around us in need. Studying together. I I imagine that's the kind of experience that Moses had on the mountain. Being that close with God. That dedicated, devoted time of being in God's presence. That is indicative of being what we call Methodist. (laughs) But here's the problem with that. It it sounds great. But the problem with living life where you have as the desire of your heart to remain in the presence of God. In prayer and in the study of scriptures and worship and service. If you spend your life that way or dedicate your time to that, God will mess with you. I mean, can I get an amen? And not not just in a funny, silly, practical, jokey kind of way. I mean, God will mess with you at the very heart of the core of your being. So much so that you'll find yourself being changed. God will change you. At least it's been my personal experience. That God will even change you in those ways and in those places, on those things that you were absolutely sure of. In fact, God has a way of going right there with us again in my experience it's seldom been the case that when I've felt those times where I've been close to the presence of God those times that shape and formed me it's rarely have ever been the case that I came away from that going yep I was right (laughs) I knew it I had it figured out all along God does agree with me (laughs) Usually it's quite the opposite. And that's the kind of experience that Moses had with God on the mountain. And he was glowing so much as a result that he put a veil over his face. You know, and that story of Moses' experience is so significant to our faith and to the teaching of of the scriptures that even Paul 
pulls it forward and makes reference to it when he's writing to the church in Corinth. And I want to read that for you now, the, the place in 2 Corinthians where Paul writes about Moses' experience, Moses' shiny face. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 12 through to chapter 4, verse 1. It sounds like more than it is. It won't be bad. Just hang in there with me. This is what Paul writes. And he's, he's writing about Jesus now. He's teaching about Jesus. And Paul writes, Since then we have such a hope, We act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the old covenant, that same veil is still there. Since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces... Seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. See, Paul brings forward Moses' shiny face experience, and in doing it, draws a comparison between Moses' shiny face and yours and mine. And the comparison that he draws is by pointing out that for the Israelites who saw Moses' face shining, For them, that shine, that glow was the glory of God that was reflected in the law that Moses brought back down from the mountaintop. But, Paul says, for us, in Christ Jesus, the shine, the glow is not a result of the law. It's a result of Christ. And he goes on to point out that the glow that was a result of the law required the veil because the people of Israel did not need to see that glory fading. But the glow of the glory of Jesus Christ that shines on us never fades, needs no veil. In fact, you know, Jesus had his own shiny face moment. We call it the transfiguration. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. In the liturgical calendar, it's the day that we celebrate and remember the experience that Jesus had with a few of his disciples on the mountain when he was transfigured, transformed before them. 
And it was also there on that mountain after the transfiguration that Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem and began his march. That would ultimately end with him entering into the city, Palm Sunday, and his arrest, crucifixion, and death at the hands of religious people obeying the law, proclaiming Jesus as a heretic. And when the Scripture tells us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that Jesus was transfigured before His disciples, the word that's used there, that Greek word, is the same word we use for metamorphosis. A literal transformation from the inside cellular level out. The disciples witnessed this transfiguration of Jesus before them. And it says He glowed, He shined, He was radiant, spotless before them. In a moment that seems otherworldly, miraculous, that, that they would see this happen with Jesus right before their very eyes. And, and now for some people, the, the questioning, the skeptics among us, those miraculous type of events and ideas seem a little bit hard to make sense of or to claim or to own. And maybe rightfully so. It's a lot. But for that particular experience, the transfiguration of Jesus, maybe think about it this way. I don't want to get too deeply metaphysical or, or philosophical here with everybody, but where do we draw the line between what we perceive and what is? And so what I mean to say is what they wrote was what they perceived, what they observed, what they saw. They saw Jesus become before their very eyes the fullness of God. So it's possible that what was transformed or transfigured may have been Jesus or it may have been how they saw Jesus. It may have been what happened in that moment is those disciples finally got a glimpse of the fullness of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So maybe they were changed. Maybe that transformation, that transfiguration that took place had every bit as much to do with how they were able to perceive Jesus as it did with what Jesus looked like. How He shined. Which in a way begs the question for us, how do we perceive Jesus? How is it that our eyes might be being opened by God to see the fullness of Christ more and more from glory to glory in a new way. And so Paul draws on that shining Jesus 
with the shining face of Moses to say to the followers of Jesus, when Moses' face shined with the glory of God that was a result of the law, it had to be veiled. It had to be covered. Because that shine was going to fade. But the shine of Jesus, the glory of God and Jesus Christ reflected in us and on us and through us never fades. Needs no veil. And he digs in a little bit deeper and he says, and you know what? Even to this day when they read Moses, when they read the Old Covenant... When their focus and their attention is on the commandments and the laws and the rules and the expectation, that veil comes right back over their faces. But when they, when we look to Jesus, the Lord, when we live in His commandment, The new covenant, the new commandment that he gave us, which is to love each other as he has loved us. Then the veil is lifted and we can see and the glory of God can shine fully. And Paul tells us we can be free. Because the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. I said earlier, I I think that whole Methodism and spiritual disciplines and being close to the presence of God ought to come with a warning. Because it'll mess with you, it'll change you. Emily referenced earlier in our time of prayer the work of our United Methodist Church's general conference this past week. The meeting, the conference, the votes, the decisions that were all being had around the topic of human sexuality, specifically as it relates to ordination and marriage. And I'm just going to tell you personally, that's somewhere in my life and in my faith where God has messed with me. I'm not where I was. I was raised in a faith tradition that emphasized the rules, the law, the commandments. That was where our attention and our focus lied. That was how we were taught to engage with others, to be the church and to be Christian in the world, rooted in that law. And God has messed with me. In a couple of ways. One is in the reading of the scripture. So as I've spent more and more of my life devoted to the reading and study and Discussion of the scriptures. At least for me, what I've come to understand is the beauty and the significance and the meaning of 
the Bible is not in this verse or that verse or that verse, but it is in the truth that it contains from beginning to end. The truth about God, the truth about us, and our relationship with God and with one another. And at the very heart, at the very root of it all, is the love of God. Which is why the scripture tells us that God is love. Why Jesus said that is the greatest commandment, to love God and love your neighbor. And for a lot of people, when it comes to the subject of human sexuality, it's an argument about the authority of Scripture. I, I'd offer you that I've come to understand it more as an argument about the authority of our interpretation of the Scriptures. And I'll tell you the other way that God has messed with me. Is I've gotten to know people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. As friends, like personally. I've gotten to know people who are gay Christians. Seen their faith. Heard their witness, their testimony to the love of Christ in their lives. Watched them live it out. So I'm not where I used to be. That's me. But where I am is I'm on the love of God and Jesus Christ for all of us. And Paul teaches about the shine, the glow that was a result of a law that was fading And the shine and the glow that is a result of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And Paul says it is because of this that we have hope. It is because of this that we are not ashamed. It is because of this that we won't lose heart. So we are never going to stop. We are never going to give up. We are never going to give in. We're never going to go away. We are going to continue to preach and to live the love and compassion and grace and welcome and inclusion and invitation of Jesus Christ for everybody, everywhere, until all are free. Hold on. Yeah. yeah, but God's messing with us. God will mess with you and me in the holiest of ways. So that we can know the freedom of Jesus Christ. To live and to love May the love of God in Jesus Christ light you up.
shine off of you, like reflecting off of a mirror until, like Paul says, until we are transformed in the very image of Christ, into the very image of love. Alive and well and working in our world to bring transformation. May that be true. In the midst of all of it, may that be true. You, me, and all of us here for Shambly, for Brookhaven, for Dunwoody, for Atlanta, and for the world. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate the communion meal. Which is the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested. And as a part of that meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And we're going to do that in just a minute. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And I do believe in some sense Jesus knew. He knew what was going to happen for him. He knew what was coming for the world, for us. He knew each and every one of us. He knew that we would be broken, that we are broken. He knew that our church would be broken, that we're living broken and imperfect. And he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. I'm broken with you and for you, Jesus said. Take my body and eat it, and every time you do, remember me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of this new covenant, this covenant of love. It's poured out for you and for everyone for the forgiveness of sin so that you could be clean, new, free. Take it and drink it, and every time you do, remember me. So you'll be invited in just a minute to come and share in this meal, to receive a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Would you come doing that knowing that it is a gift of love, an invitation to love and to freedom and to shine? Would you also come knowing that that piece of bread you're receiving is broken off of a larger loaf of bread? And that cup that you're dipping your bread into, so is the person before you and after you. And in that sense, this meal unites us together. Not in the law, but in the love of God. In Jesus Christ. So you'll be invited to come and share this meal together today as one body. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you if you'd join us at the invitation.